It's episode 65 of the HTYC podcast. Hey, HTYCers, it's Scott. I'm back. I got to tell you a little bit before we jump into this conversation that, you know, this this is a guy who I saw speak, actually, one of the, uh, even before I started HTYC, in fact, I went to a conference called the Quitter Conference in Nashville and came back from that. And then two months later, because I was trying to figure out what kind of business I wanted to start, what kind of business I wanted to make an impact on the world with, and, you know, what was going to happen with my career. And then, you know, I went to this conference, saw this guy speak, uh, left an impression on me. And, and there were several other great speakers there at the same time. But, you know, I, I got to talk to him and I'll tell you a little bit about him before you, you know, before we jump right into this conversation here. But he's a, you know, he's an author of four books to, at this point in time. You know, uh, a couple of other ones are The In-Between, Wrecked, and his latest book, which we'll talk a little bit about and you'll hear about, is The Art of Work. And what's really cool is he's giving it away free to HTYCers right now. And we'll tell you a little bit about that later on in the episode and how you can get that. But, you know, this is a guy whose hobbies include waging war on the blank page, which I love. And you might also have heard of him as the 500 word challenge guy. Uh, he's originally from Chicago, but after college, he spent a little bit of time traveling with his band and then settled down in Nashville and finally married his sweetheart, Ashley. And you can find him at goinswriter.com and also hosting his podcast, The Portfolio Life. And his name is Jeff Goins. I think you're going to love this episode. It goes a whole bunch of different places than where I thought it would go. Um, and I'll tell you a little bit of backstory. We had we had a ton of tech difficulty, which is funny because every single time I've had a guest on from the Nashville area, it I don't know. I always have problems with Skype, which is what I use to record the record the podcast episodes. But I think you're going to love this one. Uh, we spend the majority of the time talking about dating, which actually, weirdly enough is exactly like careers, dating versus marriage. So you'll hear more about that too. Now, here's Jeff Goins. This has happened to your career. We help you stop doing work that doesn't fit you, figure out what does, and then make it happen. Whether you're looking to do your own thing or find your dream job, you've come to the right place. I'm Scott Barlow. So how do you know Matt McWilliams? By the way, um, well, uh, so I, 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 uh, I you know, write about he, he follows my blog, and I, I met him really uh, through this process of uh, writing the book and you know telling a story. And um, I, you know, we we met when I was when I was writing that when I was writing the book. Um, you you know you were talking about. How um, you know how there's not a lot of my story in it. That was intentional. I mean, it was sort of like I wrote the book, and it was a lot about me. I didn't really like that, and so I went out in search of other people's stories. And Matt was one of those guys that responded. I, I just kind of like put something on Facebook, and yeah. maybe emailed some people in my newsletter list about it uh, a couple of times. And he was uh, one of those people that responded. And initially, I was like, uh, you know, okay whatever i mean i was really um i was really like uh uh skeptical of anybody who reached out to me even though i asked for people's stories i was like uh you know like i want to make sure it's a good story and somebody not just trying to get famous or whatever not that my book's going to make them famous uh but you know so 
I kind of put him on hold, and then I you know went and found some other stories, and then I just kind of on a whim decided you know to call him up, and he told me a story, and I was like, wow, like this this actually kind of fits with a lot of the themes that I was hearing other people talk about. Yeah, and um, you know I I like it, and in fact he wrote a blog post about this, but. I told him, I said, you know, the most interesting part of your story isn't all the wins because he was really focusing on the things that he had succeeded at. Oh, yeah. I said, it's really, all, it's really all these failures. You know, it's all these things that you try to get right, you thought, you know, you were going to rock at and then, you know, getting fired <laughs> a couple of times. <laughs> More than a couple of times. Makes, yeah, yeah. That's what makes a good story. Yeah. You know yeah. him? Yeah. He and I are in a mastermind group together. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, he's a good friend. Um He's a good guy. Yeah. He is, uh, <laughs> he always likes to share the wins versus, versus the failures. So that cracks me up. Yeah. Well, he's got, I mean, he's got plenty of them. So, I mean, there's, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But I just told him, I said, you know, like, you're focusing on this part of the story. And I think you need to focus on this part of the story. This is what makes you attractive is all the failure. You know, tell me about that uh, that story. I really wanted to ask you about that because I I heard about it. Then I you know saw it in the book, the story about Lane and and you know the guitar. And I'm really curious, first of all, like why you decided. Well, tell the story first, and then let me ask you a question about it. Well, my wife tells me that I exaggerate stories sometimes. You know, and she, uh, you know, I, I believe in the adage, you know, don't ruin a good story with the facts. <laughs> and, uh, and so she's always calling me out on that. This is not one of those stories. Like, there is no exaggeration in it at all. It happened exactly this way, uh, if not even more over the top than it sounds. So, you know, my freshman year in college, I was um, in search of a girlfriend, as, uh, you know, I don't think is too uncommon. I just broken up with my high school girlfriend and I was, you know, on the rebound, ready to get back into the game of dating. And I met this girl who was my freshman orientation leader. Her name was Lane and she was a junior. She was two years older than me. And, you know, her job was to kind of show me around campus. Um, so I liked Lane. She was, um, she was cute. She had curly hair. She, you know, sort of had this, um, girl next door. Um, you know, uh, look to her where, you know, she was kind of, um, uh, uh, you know, she wasn't the girl that, you know, every guy was going after, but she was, um, she was, she was really cool and she was, you know, she was good looking. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to, uh, I wanted to date her. And so I, being the gentleman that I was, waited a good long year before asking Lane out. And I always tell people that has nothing to do with the fact that I was deathly afraid of girls. Yeah. That was very gentlemanly of you. <laughs> so finally, when I worked up the courage to ask Lane to the uh, homecoming dance sophomore year, I made the mistake of telling a couple of my friends about it, and uh, they said, how are you going to do it? And I said, well, I thought I'd just call her. And one of my friends, Doug, who's a big romantic, said, Jeff, come on, man, go big or go home. And so I was like, well, I, I don't want to go home. Huh? I'll, I'll go big. And I decided to do, in fact, I think this was, uh, this would be, you know, what any, uh, college age male with a guitar sitting in the corner of his room would do. Oh, of course. I decided to, I decided to write Lane a song. And I wrote it, you know, it was like a short minute and a half love ballad. Um, I memorized all the lyrics, spent a week writing it and, you know, practicing it. And then one Saturday afternoon, I picked up the phone, I called Lane. 
And she answered. And then I hung up the phone because now I knew that Lane was home. And so I grabbed my guitar. I raced across campus, ran right up to her door. Somebody let me into uh, into the lobby of the, the dorm. And uh, Lane was the hall director of a girl's dormitory. And so she had a big room. She had a big suite. Um, and so there's plenty of you know room for me to play my song, perform, move around, that sort of thing. So I knock on her door. She opens it. And you know, even without thinking about it, I just step in to this room full of people. And, you know, I mentioned Lane has a, a larger room. So she's got like six to eight friends hanging out on a Saturday afternoon, just, you know, you know, hanging out. Uh, and, um, I have this decision to make, or I'm standing in the threshold of Lane's door. I can take another step in and risk embarrassment, or I can, you know, leave and just go, oh, wrong door or something. And, um, uh, you know, uh, probably never do that again. I'd probably never work up the courage to knock on a girl's door and play a song for her ever again. So, uh, you know, I took the advice of my friend Doug and I went big and I stepped in to the room and for the next 90 seconds I played that song. Totally rocked the place if I, you know, maybe <laughs> to say so. And, um, I just, I played that last C chord. The, the song was written in such a way that the, yeah, the second to last line, uh, set me up to rhyme with the phrase, will you go to the dance with me? And so I strummed that last C chord. What, what was that back. second to last line? I'm curious. I can't oh, man. <laughs> I was hoping you'd be able to pull that one out. Demonstration on the spot. <laughs> it ends in an E, and so the last line was, will you go to the dance with me? Um, you know, it rhymed. And uh, so I strummed that C chord, uh, locked eyes with Lane. She looked at me, and of course, everybody in the room is staring at her to see what her reaction is going to be. And there's this pause, right? There's terrible, long pause, moment of decision. And then finally she says, I can't. I'm sorry. And then something worse happens. Instead of leaving like a normal, sane person would do, I decide to just stay. Like I decide to blend into the party. And so I just kind of <laughs> set my guitar down. I sit on a stool in the corner and try to join the conversation as if like that thing didn't just happen, you know? And people kind of look at me strangely because it obviously did just happen. I did just get rejected playing a song, asking a girl to a dance. She said no, uh, and now I'm not leaving. And so people kind of look at me, and I'm trying to very awkwardly join the conversation. It's not working, but I keep forcing it for like 10 minutes as if to say, what, that thing over there that I just did? No, that's that's no big deal. I do this all the time. Every Saturday this, at three. Yeah, this is just another stop on my college uh, dormitory rejection tour. Uh, <laughs> but after what is obvious uh, you know, to everybody else becomes obvious to me that this isn't working, this is very awkward, I get up, excuse myself, and leave. And Lane chases me out the door and says, um, you know, she meets me in the hall and she thanks me. She goes, thanks for my song. <laughs> And at this point, I'm bitter. And I say through gritted teeth, well, my pleasure, Lane. I aim to entertain. And then I leave. And uh, it would be a long time after that before I would ever do something bold uh, in my life, period, much less for, you know, a girl. So <laughs> here's what I wanted to ask you about that, because I, I love that story for so many reasons. And I think you, you, you told it in Nashville way back when, you know, three, four, yeah. five years ago, whatever it is. I think it's three years ago. And, uh, I think you were telling it for a different reason than what you shared in the book. And first of all, I'm curious how you got the guts up to be able to do that in the first place. Was that a decision that you made at the moment? And then 
uh, once it, you know, be, like, how did that happen? Because that's something most people are scared to death to do, so they never do it. Yeah, well, I mean, really, um, I'm not, I'm not wired to do this. I'm not a big risk taker. I've always been kind of, a, I've been always been timid with girls. I mean, I had my first girlfriend uh, in senior year of of high school, and and I mentioned I broke up with her once I went to college, and then spent my freshman year trying to get another girlfriend, and you know, totally failed at it. And so Lane was was the one. She was the one that I was, um, you know, aiming to uh, date, and I spent a year working up the courage to do this. So I'm. <laughs> I'm not a naturally courageous uh, person. And, you know, I share that in the book because um, really in the context of dreams, you know, I think there's a lot of people telling you to go big go home, or go home, uh, risk it all. Um, and I think most dreams uh, really take time, they take patience, and, and they take relation to, um, uh, in the case of Lane, you know, like it, it didn't work not just because um, – she didn't like me or didn't feel the same way about me. It didn't work because in that year of me trying to work up the courage to ask Lane on a date, I didn't get to know her. Like I exchanged maybe a hundred or 200 words. I mean, we were acquaintances, you know, at best. We later became friends. Uh, but uh, I didn't know her very well. And, uh, the next time I, uh, wrote and performed a song for a girl was, uh, for the woman who became my wife. And I spent a summer. Uh, getting to know her before I wrote and, and played a song for her. And, you know, it, it made the difference. She said yes. And, you know, Lane said no. And looking back on that, she was, she was right. Uh, you know, I think it takes a lot more than guts to make a dream come true. So at what point did you realize that then? Because at the time you said you, you know, in the moment you were already bitter. And I'm sure at the, you know, at that point you're not thinking, oh, if only I'd spent, you know, a year actually talking to her, then this probably would end differently. That I'm, guessing that wasn't going through your mind. So, you know, when did you realize that uh, you should be doing it differently? And I think this really relates to people's careers and, and, you know, as, as you talk about in the book, they're, they're calling, but you know, how did that, how did that happen for you? Took years, honestly. I mean, Lane rejected me. I still needed a date for the dance. And so then I went and asked this girl that was in an acting class with me and I did it in the weakest way possible where we were, you know, I just timed it right. So we both ended up like walking out the classroom at the same time. And, you know, we knew each other from class and, um, uh, we hadn't really spent much time together, but, um, you know, I just got caught up with her, started talking to her and then I didn't even look her in the eyes. I mean, I, I was pretty devastated by the whole lane thing. It's a funny story, but it was devastating. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I don't do that sort of thing. And so to do it and to get rejected, uh, that was really painful. And so I wasn't going to do that again. I wasn't going to risk again and get my heart broken like that. So I'm walking, you know, across the, uh, the quad of our campus with this, uh, you know, this other girl. Uh, and I, um, I asked her to the dance and I said, Hey, uh, you know, like, I don't know if you have anybody for the dance. And I'm staring at the sidewalk the whole time. Like, I don't know if you have anybody to go to the dance with, but you know, if, if you don't, um, you know, I'd, you know, I'd love to go with you if, if that's okay or whatever, but you know, no big deal. And I, I do not look at her. And then comes this other, you know, deafening silence, this long pause, like happened with Lane. I go, oh, great. Here, here it goes again. And this girl was, uh, I thought was way out of my league. And, um, she was, you know, the girl that every guy wanted to date. And, uh, so I'm just staring at the side of the whole time, waiting, bracing myself for the no. 
And she doesn't say anything. And so finally, I look up. We've stopped walking at this point. And I look up at her, and she's just staring at me, smiling. And she says, I'd love to. And we went to the dance, and we ended up dating for a year and a half. And, uh, you know, I mean, it was, it was, it was a, it was a good relationship that eventually, you know, wasn't so good. Um, but, uh, I, I never told that girl I loved her. I never, um, I never risked my heart in the relationship, uh, partly because of what had happened with Lane, you know, even though it wasn't a relationship, I just kind of in my mind, uh, equated risk with failure. Like if you put your heart out there, if you be vulnerable, you're going to get hurt. You know, and I mean, we dated and obviously I was, you know, vulnerable to some extent with her, but there, there were certain things that I just wouldn't do. Like I wouldn't say I love you, even though I felt those feelings at, at the time. Uh, and I, I just, I, I shared it in the book because I see that happening with people who have a dream, want to make a big shift in their career. Uh, I was just talking to a friend over lunch the other day and he was telling me about his brother-in-law who basically risked it all, went for broke, fell flat on his face and just decided, I'm just going to play it safe. I'm not going to put myself out there. And I think that's tragic. Totally agree. Why do you think that happens with so many people? Because I, I see two things. I see either the, you know, just like we talked about briefly, you know, people that never get to the, uh, I'm going to go and I'm going to play my guitar phase. You know, they imagine it, but they never actually do it. And then for the people that do it and then do they, they fall flat on their face then they never get over that and they stay in that that bubble. And I've been guilty of that before. I, you know, unfortunately more than once. But uh, why do you think that that happens from your perspective? Because you've been there, done that, and, uh, you know, also write about it as well. Well, I think the problem is in the setup, Scott. Yeah. Uh, traditionally, people would say, you're going to fall flat on your face. Failure is a part of success. Just get up and do it again. Sure. But look, but look, I'm a sensitive guy. I'm a, I'm a musician, writer, you know, songwriting, uh, you know, guy who, you know, hasn't had, you know, many girlfriends in his life. Uh, that didn't work for me. And I think it doesn't work for a lot of people. Uh, I think it only works for a very few, very courageous, you know, group of people that are just willing to endure failure after failure after failure. And I think that's setting you up for, uh, uh, defeat. It's setting you up for, um, you know, going big like I did with Lane, falling flat on your face and going, I'm not doing that again, you know, because the, the world is a cold, cruel place and there's no room in it for my dream. And so I'm just going to play it safe because that hurts. And I think it, we have to shift our paradigms. We need to think about pursuing a dream less as taking a leap. This is what you hear when people talk about, you know, transition, transitioning from, you know, a day job to a dream job, um, you know, leaving it all to go, you know, find your calling. And, uh, after, I mean, people say that, I get it. Uh, but after reading tons of biographies, interviewing hundreds of people who have done that and really getting down to the nitty gritty details of uh, what actually happened, I, I think more often than not, the norm is not to take a leap, but to build a bridge, to gradually uh, transition. And gradual is relative, uh, but you know it's probably not going to happen in a weekend. Uh, gradually transition from where you are to where you want to be. It takes work. It's it, it can sort of sound boring and not that glorious, but it's, it's how it actually works. I mean, if you build a bridge versus take a leap, I think of, you know, uh, I think of this as a word picture and I, 
you know, growing up in the age of Mario Brothers, I think of those trampolines that you would like run and jump on and, you know, hopefully you jump over the thing, you know, over the cliff, otherwise you die. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, you got, it, it takes timing, it takes effort, it takes strength, a little bit of luck. Otherwise you're going to fall to your death. Whereas if you build a bridge, you know, uh, crossing some chasm from, you know, where you are to where you want to be, that's a pretty reliable means of getting to where you want to go. But, uh, it takes a little bit more time, takes a little bit more patience, uh, and, and a little bit more work to get there. But once you've done that, once you've built a bridge, you can safely walk to the other side. Again, you know, maybe not the sexiest analogy, but in my experience, that's what works. That's what creates a sustainable transition to, uh, finding your calling, chasing a dream. And I actually think it's the norm, not the exception. I think taking the leap, even though that's what most people say, is the exception. So, I mean, that's exactly what I'm doing. And, and, you know, that seems to be very much exactly what you did, too. Uh, you know, going from your, and I forget your exact job title and everything like that, but when you're working for um, uh, the missions group, um, what was yeah. the name of that? I totally forgot it. Adventures and Missions. Adventures and Missions, a, yeah. It's a nonprofit organization. Um, we did, you know, uh, relief and development work all over the world. And I was the marketing director. And it was a great job. I didn't hate it. I, I that, That's what actually made it really hard to leave. But I did feel this sense of, as I was building this bridge of, you know, uh, starting a blog, uh, writing a book, um, you know, things started to take off. And I started to feel the sense of momentum. And it took somebody saying to me, hey, this might be your calling. This might be the thing that you're supposed to do. And if you don't do this, um, you know, there be, may be more at stake than you realize. Who said that to you? A mentor, a friend of mine, a guy named Mark. I talk about him in the um, the beginning of the book where he, he said to me, what happened to you is rare and you need to consider it's, uh, we we're talking in the context of faith. Um, you know, we were both Christians and he said to me, he goes, you need to consider that not doing this might be an act of disobedience to God. And uh, those words weighed on me. And uh, I was always thinking of chasing a dream as something selfish, uh, something you know self-centered. And it took uh, it took this whole you know process that I talk about in the book to realize that a dream uh, is really not about you. You know, you're sort of a caretaker of it. You're entrusted with it, but it's really about the people you're going to to serve, the people that you're going to impact with the work that you do. And so, by not doing it, by ignoring the call. Um, it's not just, uh, it's not just us who miss out, uh, on what, you know, what the calling might have for us, but really, um, you know, a lot of other people are potentially missing out as well. So, so after you talked to him about that, like how long did it take you to be able to go in and make that happen? You know, when the point in time where, you know, you heard those words, they started to weigh on you. Uh, how long did it take you to really look and, and imagine yourself in in a different light and in saying, hey, this this really actually not could be, but will be my calling. For me, that was a conversation that, you know, that was the you know straw that broke the camel's back, if I'm you know using that analogy right. Yeah. And that that happened really after uh, about a year and a half of uh replacing my wife's income, replacing my own income, you know, the thing that most people uh, struggle to kind of pull together the money part. You know, they've got the passion, they've got the opportunity, but maybe, you know, the money isn't quite where it needs to be. Um, that was there. You know, it was, it was very obvious to a lot of people, but me, my wife included. My wife was, you know, my wife had just quit her job. She had gone on maternity leave. 
um, and she just never went back to work, which was really the plan was to replace her income. Yeah. And uh, so she had told her, you know, work that she wasn't coming back. And then a few months later, um, you know, that I you know, talked about the momentum, the money just kept coming in, opportunities kept coming in. It's just the, the business that I'd, I'd built, um, this online business of helping writers, it just kept growing. And, uh, and so, you know, if you went to that, my wife's like, you need to quit your job. I'm like, I'm not doing that. That's crazy. We're not both quitting our jobs, you know, the same year. So she had been prodding me about it and other people had been asking me as well. And so when I talked to Mark, which must have been November or December of that year, um, it, I said, okay, all right. I mean, it, it took me maybe a couple of weeks to decide to do it. And then finally I said, okay, we're, we're going to do this uh, at the end of uh, that year. That was, um, that was 2012. And so, uh, in January, I, uh, met with my boss. I told him what had happened. He was kind of, I mean, he knew some of it, but I explained to him, here's what happened. You know, I'm, I'm passionate about it. I, I've, you know, if the money continues to come in as it's coming in, we'll be fine. Um, and, you know, my, my wife is supportive of it. Like all of the things that often are kind of up in the air, like, Hey, I have a dream, but my family doesn't understand it. Or, you know, I, I'm, I'm doing this thing, but, you know, I don't know how I'm going to make any money. All of those, you know, variables were, um, not variables for me. They were all in place. And I, I said, the only thing that would prevent me from doing this, cause he had mentored me for seven years. Yeah. The only thing that would, that would prevent me from doing this is feeling like I might disappoint you. And he just kind of collected his thoughts because I basically told him I wanted to quit. And he, that wasn't what he was expecting when we met. And he said, Jeff, I'm, I'm not disappointed in you. I'm proud of you. He goes, I think it's, I think it's time. I've been waiting for this conversation. And, and I think that's the fruit. I mean, that's the outcome that you'll see when you do this thing I call building a bridge. Um, instead of you having to fight for it, it'll be this thing that the people around you who love you and know you, not everybody, but the people who love you, the people you trust, they'll see it sometimes before you do. And uh, I, I believe that every story of success is a story of community and that um, we do not get to where we're going in, in life on our own. That We need mentors and guides and supporters to, to get us there. And, you know, my wife and my friend Mark and even my boss were those people who helped me understand this is something that's bigger than me. And I have a responsibility to respond to it. Hmm. That's, that's interesting. And I love your concept of building the bridge because so many people that I interact with uh, very much have exactly what you had said. They want to leap to that next thing and they want to just, I mean, th they sort of fall in love with the, the fantasy of it is what it seems like without necessarily a whole bunch of action around it. So they don't even necessarily know if what they have that fantasy around is something that they're really going to truly enjoy or is going to be viable for them or even gets anywhere close to be considered a, you know, a calling. So uh, I'm curious what, uh, and I know we're starting to run out of time here, but uh, I'm curious what advice you would have for them. And, and certainly people can and should go get the book. And then, you know, we can tell people where to go get that here in just a second. Uh, Cause yeah. you've got a really cool uh, promo deal going on right this very second. But you know, what advice would you have for them if they're, they find themselves in that place where they've got the fantasy, haven't really taken tons of action on it, but then, you know, they, they want to explore that, you know, they're maybe, maybe either frustrated with their job or know that they could do something more. I think of this like the difference between dating and marriage. And when I was getting ready to get married, um, everybody, there were two groups of people. There were the, the old crotchety men who, 
you know, were sort of begrudgingly still married to their wife. <laughs> I've met some of those. That, like, it, it was going to be tough and hard. Everybody was saying, you know, all these guys were saying marriage is going to be hard and just, you know, learn to do what she says and keep her happy and everything will be fine. And I was like, well, that doesn't sound very appetizing. Why am I doing this? And then there were a few other people that I talked to, one of which was the pastor who was marrying us. And I just, I remember, you know, one time during our premarital counseling, just one-on-one, him and me, we were talking about this. And I said, oh, look, I know marriage is going to be hard and difficult and it's not going to be, you know, rainbows and butterflies. And he just stopped me. He goes, hang on a second, Jeff. He goes, I've not found that to be the case. And he was, you know, in his mid-50s. I said, what are you talking about? Like, I grew up in a pretty chaotic household. My parents actually divorced and then remarried each other years later. Um, but, you know, like, I saw them fight. And uh, I just assumed that marriage was hard and difficult. And I'm not saying that it's not. But um, when he interrupted me, he said, he goes, I don't think marriage has to be hard. He goes, my marriage isn't hard. He goes, yeah, I mean, I get why people say that. You have to sacrifice and, you know, do this and do that. But he goes, I love my wife. I love, you know, sacrificing for her, serving her. Um, you know, I, I'm not saying that it's that it's easy, but I wouldn't begin your marriage thinking that it's going to be this, like, torturous thing that you're going to have to endure. And those words right there changed my wedding day for me. My wedding day went from being an obligation, something that I was doing because I felt like you have to do this as a formality before you can, you know, uh, be married and, you know, spend a life together. And it became a celebration. I mean, it was one of the best days of my life. I cried like a idiot. I mean, anybody who went there will tell you. I mean, if you look at our, our wedding pictures, I just have red eyes the whole time because it was really beautiful. <laughs> ceremony. But what made that day so special was all of the, you know, the two years that we dated leading up to it, all of the the waiting and anticipation. And, you know, we had some stuff that we had to work through to get to that moment. And then there was all that stuff that happened afterwards. Uh, you know, all, all the highs and lows and, and there, there have been difficulties, you know, uh, I don't think marriage is easy, but we entered marriage not thinking of it as an obligation, as I think people tend to treat work, right? A day job is this thing that you have to endure, but as this uh, privilege, as this wonderful thing that we um, got to do together as an adventure, really. And so, you know, when you think about a dream, I think of it like that. I think there are a certain group of people that want to treat uh, dreaming or finding a calling like dating. They want to date their dream. And, and, uh, we think that dating is, um, exciting. Like, you know, my wife and I sometimes talk about our dating relationship versus our, you know, marriage relationship. And there were pros and cons to both. Uh, the pro to dating was it was exciting. You know, and so my wife will go, Hey, like, why don't, you know, why don't we do this, that, or the other thing, you know, like we did when we were dating. And, you know, and I, I hear that and I go, yeah, you're right. We need to, um, I need to pursue you more or, or we need to go on more dates and, you know, be romantic or, or whatever. Uh, I said, but don't forget like how awkward that time was too. Like I, uh, I, you know, when I would go on dates with my wife, I was so nervous that I'd have to leave the room, uh, you know, every 15 minutes because I had to fart, you know, I, I don't know if we can say, f- we can talk about farting on your show. Well, we can, it's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a safe, so safe territory. <laughs> my stomach was so uneasy that I got gas when I went on dates with girls. I, I, I you know, I mentioned I wasn't this courageous guy. I was, uh, I was really, uh, you know, terrified. And uh, C.S. Lewis talks about this in one of his books where he says, you know, we all like to remember things better than they were. Um, and we, you know, and, and there's something, he calls it a quieter love. There's something beautiful about um, not going from high highs to low lows, which is what dating is like. And just having this, 
uh, relationship that endures. It's not quote unquote exciting all the time, but it's stable, it's secure, uh, it's safe. And, and there's a, a deeper sense of knowing that you get, you know, and he's talking about marriage, uh, when, you know, you, uh, marry somebody and you stick with them for the rest of your life, hopefully, uh, versus going from one date to the next to the next. When you're going on a date with somebody, it could go great or terrible. And every date is sort of a test that you have to pass or fail. Uh, so I think that some people want to treat dreaming like dating. And my advice is, that tends to not lead to meaningful relationships. It just doesn't. Uh, like, do you date your way into marriage? Well, yeah, hopefully. I, you know, I'm not saying, you know, go find somebody Eventually, just and propose to them or, you know, uh, to, you know, accept the first proposal that comes your way, you know, from a total stranger. Uh, but if you spend your whole life going from one relationship to the next to the next, one date to the next to the next, as people do with dreams, you know, from one passion to the next to the next without ever committing to it, uh, for the long haul, uh, you're not going to, um, you're not going to see that, that thing that endures, that, uh, that impact that you want to have on the world. And I learned that not by chasing a dream, but by sticking with a day job for seven years where I, um, I really served somebody else's vision and learned what it looked like to practically chase a dream, see a, you know, vision come true. And I was able to take that into my own business that I've now been running for three years. Um, and I realized, wow, there are, there are dips. There are times when things are hard. And if I didn't learn how to endure that in a, you know, safe context working in a day job, uh, I would have quit, you know, doing what I'm doing now because I wouldn't have seen that as a necessary part, uh, of the process. And so if you're addicted to the thrill of chasing dreams, uh, again, I think that's okay. That has its place like dating does. But if that's all you're doing, it's not going to get you to a sustainable career that you love. So you, <laughs> this is interesting. I love this analogy and I'd love to go deeper into it, but I think we're just about out of time here. Um, but I, I love the concept of, hey, you're going to have to settle down. Maybe settle down is the wrong way to put it, but you're going to have to get into that deeper, deeper relationship, that deeper place in order to be able to actually um, get, get the same, I would call it the same rewards that go along with your fantasy. Um, you know, in, and I don't know that I've explored this uh, a whole lot. You're making me think about it in a new and different way, but uh, I, th I think I see a lot of evidence that that's absolutely true. So for those of you that, uh, that, uh, you know, have, you know, you're in that place right there. Don't date your dream. Um, now Jeff, we we've got a we've got a really cool promo set up here where you're giving away your books for a limited time your brand new book for a very limited time right that's right yeah so i mean basically what we're doing is we're charging a flat shipping and handling rate so you do have to pay something i want to be you know clear about that uh but um you know it's a fraction of of the price that you'll have to pay when you know the book is in in the bookstores and uh, that's a flat shipping for anywhere so you pay that flat shipping you're going to get the book, uh, you're going to get the, that, that'll come out on March 24th, so you'll get it after that, but you'll get immediate access to the digital book. And, uh, then we've got, um, a free online course. This is a hundred dollar online course that I'm giving away for free to anybody who pre-orders it through, um, through your, your link, uh, Scott, just for, um, you know, being a part of the happen to your career community. Um, and it's basically an online course about how you, uh, go through these mindset shifts, some of which we talked about here, 
uh, to even be ready to start begin to make that transition into uh, you know, a, a dream job, the career that you were uh, hopefully born to uh, do. And uh, that's a limited time thing that we're doing through March 23rd. And, uh, you know, and, and you can go to the, the, the website. You know, Scott's got a special link for you that you can um, go check out to find out more about that. You can find that in the, in the show notes, too. It, um, we'll link everything up. Just go to, uh, to the show notes for episode 65, and we'll get you all set up. Happen, or artofworkbook.com slash hdyc so now jeff where, where can where can everybody connect up with you uh you know if, if they want more jeff coins you know how can they how can they get how can they get more jeff yeah yeah um so uh i appreciate that and uh love what you're doing with this uh, show scott um you know keep up the great work thanks um my my blog is the best place to connect with me i've got an email newsletter that's you know probably the what i consider my you know inner circle you know, share insider secrets and, you know, f- lots of free stuff. You go to my blog, Goins Writer. Goins is spelled like coins, but with a G, G-O-I-N-S, writer.com. So I'm not sure how we made this entire conversation about dating. I just realized that looking back. Uh, <laughs> but there's so many parallels. So this is, uh, you know, it's really interesting to me. And I did not, I going into this, did not realize how much of uh, pursuing something that you love and pursuing something that actually is meaningful has to do with the parallels of, I don't know, pursuing a relationship. So thank you for opening my eyes, Jeff. I really appreciate it. And, and thanks for spending the time. Totally my pleasure. Thanks, Scott. Hey, thanks so much for spending your time with me. I really appreciate it and hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Jeff as much as I did. And if you did enjoy it, then please go over to iTunes or to Stitcher and give us a rating and review because that helps us reach so many other people and be able to help them make moves to work that they love too. So thanks again. Really appreciate you spending your time with with me. And as a gift... You know, I wanted to be able to share with uh, with you, you know, if you want to go over to happyyourcareer.com, you can see right on the front page there, uh, link to our free eight-day email course that helps you figure out exactly what it is that you want to do. So we have had literally hundreds of people signing up and it is just absolutely insane. I'm getting some amazing emails from people that uh, that are getting clarity on what it is that they want or you know, just for the first time, really thinking about it in a completely and new and different way. So go over there if you haven't already, get your eight-day course, and then be able to work through it. You know, you can take it as, uh, you can do it straight through in the eight days, or take it uh, and spread it out over a couple of weeks, whatever you want to do. The important part is just to get started, and we give you a format to do exactly that. So if you're not enjoying your job, or you'd love your job, but you really know that you want to do something more than what it is that you're doing right now, then that's okay. And you you shouldn't feel bad about that. Instead, go on over to happentoyourcareer.com and then you know, we'll, we'll help you figure out how to use the things that you're great at or have the potential to be great at to do what it is that you love to do. Thanks so much. And I'm out. All right. Awesome. You're still here. Okay. So you probably heard me drop a few Easter eggs about the shamrock shakeup, right?
So this is, if you haven't heard, this is my event with Jody Mayberry of the Park Leader Show. And also he uh, hosts the Creating Disney Magic podcast. And then Mark Sievercrop, who's the co-founder of Happened to Your Career. And he's moved on to be able to do his own thing at Sievercrop.com. And he focuses on networking. And then also Jared Easley, who's the co-founder of the Podcast Movement, which is a conference for podcasters and has his own show, Starve the Doubts. Now, these three people and me, we're going to get together to help you if you have ever wanted to start an online business or you've already started and maybe you thought 2015 was going to be your year and it started off, you know, with a lot of motivation and it hasn't, you know, now that it's March, hasn't really ended up exactly where you wanted it to be. So we're going to be able to share with you uh, quite a few pieces of What's worked for us over the last year specifically to be able to, for each of us, build our platforms, build our podcast, build our online businesses. So you can, in a way that you can take each of those tools and resources and things that we've done and apply it to your own and be able to focus on the things that specifically work, you know, and you know, each of each of these people has a little bit different expertise. So you're going to get pretty eclectic approach to it. Normally you only get one person's version and one person's viewpoint on this. Now you're going to get four different people who have all done it in a variety of different ways. And then you can take the very best of the best to be able to help get your online business moving up and running and generating income and helping people in the way that you want to help people. So it's going to be a pretty fun event. I'm actually really looking forward to it. Here's the catch though. Here's the catch. It is tomorrow. So this episode's released on March 16th, and guess what? Uh, the event is tomorrow, so you've got to go to shamrockshakeup.com. That's shamrockshakeup.com, and then sign up for the event. We'll get you in. We'll send you the link. It's completely free, and we've got some pretty amazing stuff for you. Head over there right now, shamrockshakeup.com. We'll shake up your world for your online business. See ya. So you know what's interesting? So Skype is working right now. And as long as we pretend not to get all serious about the interview, like I think it'll be okay, Jeff. Just don't just don't do an interview. Don't don't go into interview mode. I don't want interview Jeff, apparently, because that's not working. Skype uh, frowns on that. Uh, <laughs> let's go. Let's keep going. Let's see how far this goes. Cool. Cool. Yeah. <laughs>